0: One second. There we go. Second Timothy chapter three. That's where we left off right around verse um, right around verse eight and nine Janus and Jambres. Anybody name their children Janus or Jambres J A N N E S weird spelling. Anyway, the backstory in case you weren't here last week. This is a book written by Paul to his protege, younger, timid Timothy, who is the pastor of a troubled church in Ephesus, where there's all kinds of false doctrine and bad teaching going on. Um, And Timothy is timid and kind of afraid to step up because he's young. Paul's encouraging him. Paul is the one encouraging Timothy, even though Paul is on death row in a prison in Rome about to be decapitated, believe it or not. And here he is encouraging Timothy. This is Paul's last book that he writes of the 13 that he wrote. Some people think he wrote Hebrews, which would make 14. We don't know that, but in any case, um, he just talked about the false teachers again, earlier in this chapter, and what people will be like in the last days, if you see that at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Now, he's gonna talk about um, persecution of Christians in a second, and we're gonna hear an analogy, if the teacher remembers, about a coconut on the beach. I put that in the email just to make you go, what? One friend of mine in Gilroy emailed me, well, you've clearly lost your mind now with coconuts and beaches. So uh, we'll talk about that. And also why the Bible is so important. In any case, so I know that you're awake, say amen. Amen. Oh, That's a good one. It's most sound like men. Some of you women have low voices maybe. And those of you on zoom wave or say amen. So I know you're beautiful all right. Um, so he's talking about the false teachers in verse six of the kind who worm their way. At, at, this is chapter three of second Timothy, verse six, worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. He's not impugning women. There's gullible men as well. I know I used to be one of them. I may still be, who knows. But the point is, they worm their way into their homes. These women would be home and have more free time on the hands than the men would. We said last week, the dangerous thing now today is false teachers don't need to knock on your door. It's on the internet. It's on television. It's on the radio. It's in movies. It's on Netflix, all kinds of bad teaching going on. So uh, we just have to know the truth. That's always what we've been saying in these two books, First and Second Timothy, so that we won't be fooled by counterfeit truth, if you will. Verse 7, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They feel like they're always growing, but they're really not because they're not learning the real truth. Verse 8, Janus and Jambres, just as they opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. We said last week, Janus and Jambres are, it is thought to be, because it's not in the Old Testament, the names. If you remember in the Exodus, Moses comes to Pharaoh and God has given him an ability to do miracles and he throws down his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. Pharaoh scoffs at this and brings in magicians. These are the two chief magicians that come in. We don't have their names in the Old Testament, but probably Jewish tradition has preserved them. They're able to duplicate some of the miracles using lying signs and wonders, maybe occultic power, maybe magic type, you know, David Copperfield type, type thing. But I think it's more um, spiritual in nature. They can't duplicate every miracle, and it's interesting that their their staffs turn into snakes. And if you remember the story, Aaron's staff eats their staffs if you remember just kind of showing greater is he that is in you right god is way more powerful than the uh, devil so um yeah we already talked about that eventually they gave reluctant glory to god but it's occultic power how many know that there's a dark side occultic power is a real thing there's one person here that knows more than most isn't there um it's a real thing. And it's evil. And people get into the occult because they think this is power that I can control. And the devil's thinking, Yeah, right. This is a way I can control you. Um, And so let's see what the reason he brings them up is their fate is going to be the same as the false teachers in Ephesus. Um, uh, So also are these teachers who oppose the truth middle of verse eight, they're men of depraved minds who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Why is that? Because they're not teaching the true gospel. They've taken a major left or right turn and are teaching uh, untruths. Verse nine, but what's gonna happen to them? They will not get very far because as in the case of those men, Janice and Jammers, their folly will be clear to everyone. Things have a way of being revealed, don't they? So that's the point he's encouraging him Don't think that they're going to win. We're going to take a really brief detour. You say we just barely got on the road. I want to show you two instances in the future that the Bible talks about where somebody, namely the Antichrist, is going to be able to do signs and wonders. And I don't mean little things, I mean spectacular things. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy and let's see. Let's go first to uh second Thessalonians yeah chapter two so from where we are in first second Timothy just go to the left a couple of books only a handful of pages second Thessalonians chapter two um let's see let's pick it up in where do we want we want to go starting in verse one well it's really we really want verse nine, but verse, verse one talks about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Um, don't let anybody deceive you. Verse three, that day won't come until the rebellion occurs. That's the word apostasy, apostasy, a falling away. Many people that you thought were Christians are going to fall away. They're not going to believe anymore. Um, and the other sign that has to happen first is the man of lawlessness. See it there in verse three is revealed the man doomed to destruction. That's one of the many names for antichrist, the man of lawlessness. What about him, Paul? Verse four, he'll oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Can you imagine uh now you know what's holding him back verse six the secret power of lawlessness is already at work Verse seven and then the lawless one will be revealed verse eight whom the lord jesus will overthrow not even a big battle god is way more powerful than the lawless one okay verse nine the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with listen the work of satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs and wonders In uh, another book of the Bible, it says he's able to summon fire from the sky. The unsaved world is going to say, well, I used to believe in Jesus. I used to believe in God. I can't see them. But here's this dude that has taken over the whole world. Antichrist is a one world government leader. One man will control the entire world and be able to do these spectacular miracles. You and I will remember what we read here and not believe in him. If we're here, if we're alive at that time, the unsaved world is going to eat it up like donuts in a donut shop. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, um, work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. That's verse nine of second Thessalonians two. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, unbelievers. They perish because they refused to love the truth and be saved. For this reason, this is interesting, God sends them a powerful delusion that they might believe the lie and that all, so that all will be condemned to have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Now from there, go to Revelation. We won't be here long. Go to Revelation 13, the chapter. There are others, but the main chapter about the Antichrist. Don't read it now, but go home and read it. And don't be afraid, by the way, when you read it. Revelation 13 I'm looking for which verses. Okay, 13 to 15. So Revelation 13, verse 13 to 15. Um, This is the Antichrist, Uh, verse 13. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Talk about special effects, but it's not in a movie theater. It's live on CNN. Because of the signs he was given, verse 14, given power to do on behalf of the first beast, this is the false prophet actually, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast, that's the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword, fake resurrection, and yet lived. He was given, verse 15, power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. And then there's the mark of the beast 666 and all that don't get me started. Um, I just wanted you to see that there's extreme power in Satan's kingdom, not the same power God has. Don't be fooled by it. Some people think any spiritual manifestation is must be God. Not necessarily. First John says, and so does uh, one of the Thessalonian books, test the spirits. Uh, go back to second timothy with me if you will uh so psychics can sometimes tell you pretty amazing things usually it's parlor tricks but not always second corinthians eleven fifteen. 15 you don't need to turn there that verse tells us that satan himself masquerades as an angel of light good peace the new age movement we're all gods all that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Okay, let's keep rolling. I just wanted you to see that. Um, so go back to Second Tim chapter 3, uh, verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 10. You, however, you, now, that's by contrast, false teachers, false teachers, but you, Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, Patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Okay, let's take that apart. He's saying, you know two things about me. You know what I teach, the true gospel, according to what really happened with Jesus Christ on the cross, who he was, and what he did, how we are to react to it you know all that teaching that's one thing but he also knew paul's way of life the the purpose the faith the patience the love the endurance and even the persecutions and sufferings he knew that paul wasn't just a guy spewing out great bible teaching but he was actually a big hypocrite he knew that paul lived it he walked the walk he talked the talk and as a result that's the complete package it's been said that people won't care what you know until they know that you care. And so there has to be that love that is put out there and that solid lifestyle that lives the teaching, not hypocritical in any way. So he he talks about his patience, his love, his endurance and faith. All those things come from God. But then the bad side, verse 11, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Well, if the gospel's so great, why are there so many persecutions for this poor man, Paul, who's spreading the gospel in a way that nobody else ever had? And the answer is because he's behind enemy lines. Satan's the God, small g of this world, and Satan hates the gospel more than he hates anything. And so, of course, there's people on his team, so to speak, unbelievers, who will persecute those who try to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, So uh, we are to expect that kind of persecution. We all know that here in America, and yet we don't, may I say. To us, persecution is somebody made fun of me in school, one, made fun of me at work, or boy, there's some countries in the world where persecution is jail time or off with your head time, right? Some Muslim countries I hope it doesn't come here, but it could. And so we need to remember this if it does, don't we? Uh, First Peter, uh, second Peter, a lot of those two books are about persecution. Here it tends to be more ridiculed. Some places it's violent uh, persecution. At Antioch, Paul was kicked out of the city and shamed for preaching the gospel. At Iconium, they almost executed him by stoning. In Lystra, these are the cities he lists, they did stone him and leave him for dead. Uh, uh, Acts 14 talks about that. But Paul, at that point, retired. No, just kept going. Amazing perseverance. Remember, he's on death row, and Paul knows God has always come th- through and rescued me. I want you to notice an amazing thing he says right here. Verse 11, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in those cities we just mentioned? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Now, what I'm expecting him to say here, and he doesn't say it, is, and I know I'm positively confessing he's going to rescue me again. He knows he could, but he also knows he, he might not and he didn't. Right. And Paul goes to the gallows and gets his head chopped off because of the gospel. And he's, I want you to notice toward the end of the book, when we get there next week, probably he, he doesn't see it as an execution. He sees it as a great departure at an airport to go to the ultimate place kind of thing, but we'll get there. Um, let's keep reading. Um, the Lord rescue me from all. Of them. In fact, everyone, verse twelve, who wants to live a godly life—is that you? It is, or you wouldn't be here. Believe me, we're not giving away free stuff, right? You wouldn't be here unless you wanted to live a godly life, and God, listen, is so working in your life or on Zoom that He gave you a thirst to know more about the Bible. That—that's why you're here, whether you know it or not. You think you came of your own accord. Maybe the court is a Honda, for those of you that didn't know. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. You came because God has been drawing you to his book. Pretty amazing thing. Um, Everyone, verse 12, bad news for you? Not necessarily. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Is that what it says? Will. Sooner or later. In some way family members that don't believe that now you don't talk to them or they don't talk to you or there's a rift between all of you at work some people it's cost them their job look we need to kind of fix the books and cheat a little here sorry i'm a christian i can't do that you're out of here now the guy's got to go look for a job or the gal has to go look for a job everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus for the same reasons i said about paul we're behind enemy lines satan hates you and christianity expect persecution. As a matter of fact, in a way, because let's face it, when I hear persecution is coming for you, you all kind of go, listen, you can look at it as confirmation that you are in a plane over the target, or Satan would not be persecuting you, right? It can be confirmation for you that God is using you, using you more opportunity to trust him, if you will, Um, while evildoers, verse 13, and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving, and notice this, being deceived themselves, they're also deceived, and they don't know it, um, because they're teaching deceitful doctrines and what have you, it's certain, sooner or later, when Christianity is put on display, we will be persecuted, John uh, 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Do you remember when we studied John maybe a, a year ago? I don't know. Um, Jesus says, this is the verdict, John three nineteen. Light has come into the world, Christ, the gospel, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So you, whether you know it or not, being a Christian are shining light in an evil world and people are uncomfortable with that. They want to stay in the shadows, so they're going to attack you. And me, it's happened to me. I'm sure it'll happen to you. Um, that kind of suffering—First Peter 4, Matthew 10—it's inevitable. Um, the temptation is to shut up about your Christianity at work, at school, with your family, at Thanksgiving, uh, wherever. Right? Persecution will go away if I just be quiet. Don't do it. You, you'll be miserable anyway if you do. Uh, you won't be able to, I don't think. Um, it's an interesting verse, First Peter 4, 4 says uh, about persecutors of Christians. They think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same dissipation, and they speak evil of you. Ever have somebody think you're strange for not running in those circles anymore, doing the old sins you used to do? Uh, I definitely have. Okay, let's keep rolling. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, Not quite as loud, but We'll take it. Um, there's a guy on TV who wrote a book for Christians in print in quotation marks, "Your Best Life Now." I wonder if he's ever preached on, "All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have be persecuted." Uh, you know who I mean—the guy whose initials are J.O. Okay, um, we already talked about that verse 13. Is that where we were? I just got here. Um, uh, yeah, the evildoers and imposters are going to go from bad to worse because error begets more error. They get further and further and further and further away from the truth. If you've ever heard of a guy named Benny Hinn, good Lord, if you start reading things he said, and then and the next year, other things and it gets weirder and weirder. Um, I'm tempted to tell you, but why? It's not true. Let's keep rolling. Um, but as for you, this is the second, but you, Timothy, verse 14. Keep on, keep on keeping on. That's my translation continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, which was him and others, his companions, Uh, He learned it from his mother and his grandmother uh, as well. Keep on keeping on. Don't shrink away, which is the temptation. Because you've learned it and you've become convinced of it. Uh, Verse 15, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, I'm describing the current in the river. You need to swim against the worldly, godless current, and it isn't easy, but you know it. You know who you learned it from. You're convinced of it. you got to keep on keeping on. Um, you know those you've, who you've learned it from, and you've seen their lives. Verse 15, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures. Uh, Grafe in, in Greek just means writings, but in the Bible, the word holy is inserted in english so that we understand it's not any writing it's the holy scriptures to paul an orthodox jewish rabbi a pharisee a member of the sanhedrin it would definitely mean the old testament and i won't take the time to show you but in the book of first peter or is it second peter i can never remember peter calls the writings of paul scripture also the writings of luke are called scripture. He wrote Luke and Acts. You remember that. So we're talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, We're leading up to this long talk about the Bible, but let's wait till we get there. You've known the Holy Scriptures from infancy. The norm in a Jewish family was you would teach your kids, mostly the boys, not true in Christianity, the scriptures from age, wait for it, five. That's where it would begin. At 13, they become a a man, a girl becomes a woman, and there's sort of tests to make sure they've been listening and learning the scriptures. I wish we would do that more. You say, well, I'm too old for that. Well, then teach your grandchildren, teach your neighbor's kids, whatever. Um, Let's see. We know from elsewhere in this book, Timothy's uh, mom and grandmother taught him the scriptures. He had a Greek father and a Jewish mom. Please notice what the scriptures teach us. And by the way, by by way of silence, what they necessarily don't teach us, you've known the holy scriptures verse 15 from infancy, which are able to make you wise for earning money, entrepreneurialism, physics, mathematics, maybe some history at least for the Middle East, right? Jewish part of the world. No, make you wise for salvation through faith uh, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. May I say there's people maybe in this room that have degree after degree from college that are so smart in one thing or another. They're able to build things or fix things or design things or write textbooks. When you die, don't go to the pearly gates and say, you know, I have two PhDs. Let me just say that right after that. They're not gonna be impressed, right? You know, I built all these buildings, I designed this, I did this. There's only one kind of wisdom at the pearly gates that matters and it's making somebody wise for salvation. And if you keep it here and never, it never comes out of here or in your life, You haven't really got the wisdom, have you? But that wisdom is going to be all that matters. You know, I made $100 million in my lifetime. So what? Are you wise for salvation? If it didn't include those last few words, we could get puffed up with it. I've got a PhD in, you know, theology from, it's wise for salvation through faith which even a child can have, in Christ Jesus. That's how we're saved. Faith in a person. Yes, the doctrines are important, but Christianity is all about a person. Christ Jesus, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Awesome. What that means is you can't get faith, listen, outside of the scriptures. I'm just going to hang around Christians, watch how they live, and I'll imitate them. You could do that but you're not going to get it into your heart to where it comes out of your mouth and in your brain and out of all that you do. Faith comes by hearing, Romans says, and hearing by the word of God. I see Jim mouthing the words. Absolutely. So you can see we're leading up to this thing about the scriptures, but we're not there yet. I mean, we sort of are, but um, make you wise for salvation. So you say, well, you know, I don't have that much faith. Read the Bible. That's what this verse is saying. Study the Bible. Don't rush through it. It's able to make you wise for salvation. It'll make you way. Up. First of all, the first thing it will do if you read the Bible and you're not a believer is it'll convict you. Because it is not a feel-good self-help book. You're so awesome. You need to learn to love yourself more. Not the Bible. The Bible shows you. It's a mirror spiritually to show you and I that we're sinners when we're unsaved. And then it shows you the unbelievable antidote, the unbelievable solution, the unbelievable love of a God that sends his son to die in our place when we couldn't care less. And he loved us anyway. Then it shows you the reward for faith, salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, grace. Anyway, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ um before we move on yep we already talked about that okay here's the verse uh, 16 and 17 those two verses we're going to camp on you know what that means um i always compare in my mind the bible study to like it's a little trip it's a little vacation we would get in our station wagon we lived in massachusetts and we'd take vacations every year my parents that my brother and i lived in the house we took a vacation get in the station wagon we go sometimes we flew places but usually in those days we drove this is the 1930s when I was a child. Anyway, um, and, and some places we would be driving and the, the, the trees would be whizzing by and there's telephone poles and, you know, there's a mountain. But some places we my dad would pull over. We're getting out here. There's something to see here. We're getting out of the car here. That's what I'm trying to warn you. Don't be surprised if we're in verse 16 and 17 for a while. Six months, maybe a year. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 16. You see it there. I'm going to read it wrong. Just so you get my meaning. Some scriptures. Is that what it says? No. All scripture. The Bible you're holding in your hand. This verse is saying it's all true. That's the first thing. All whatever he's talking about. It's all of it. Old Testament. Yes. New Testament. Yes. What about the other stuff? All scripture. The Bible, not the Book of Mormon, not the writings of Ellen G. White in Seventh-day Adventism, not the writings of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is the, the real book they believe in if you're a Jehovah's Witness. Supersedes the Bible, not the other books of Mormon, the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenants. No, no, no. The Bible, all scripture. All scripture is God breathed. What does that mean? It's interesting that God breathed life into Adam, who he had made out of the dust of the earth. Meaning what? That he made him. And if you could watch it, he was not animated or alive, heartbeat, brainwaves, breathing until God breathed into him. In the same way, God breathed into the writers of the scriptures, Old Testament and new. Weren't they alive? Yes, they were already alive. But he breathed into them in such a way, and this is a miracle in and of itself, that they could write God's words. And the weird thing is, it's not in the occult. They call it automatic writing. Have you ever heard of that? Where a spirit takes you over and what you're writing isn't even in your handwriting or your style of speaking or writing. Everybody has a style. The point is, Elijah writes differently than John, who writes differently than Luke, who writes differently than Paul, who writes differently than Peter, who writes differently than Moses. Their own character stayed intact, their own style of writing, and yet God made sure every single word was what, listen, he wanted us to know. Are there more things to know than are in the Bible? Yes, tons. There's no trigonometry in the Bible. I've looked. Yeah, right. There's no um, history of South America in the Bible. Except for creation. Okay, I'll give you that. But everything God wanted us to know for life, for godliness, for salvation, about sin, all things spiritual that we needed to know. And yes, there's more we don't know. But all we needed to know, he put in there. All All scripture. Not some. It's not a smorgasbord. You don't get to pick. I'll take first Corinthians five, but not six. I just don't like what it says there. Sorry, not going to preach on it. There's preachers that avoid certain scriptures. Oh, hell, judgment, sin, repent. No, I'm going to skip that. Is Where's the feel good stuff here? We got to fill this place up. All scripture. So the job for a pastor then, before we move on, See how we're camping? We've already locked the doors of the station wagon, and we're checking this place out. For this pastor, that means you should preach all of it, verse by verse. That's why we do this verse by verse. You don't ever hear me go, let's skip verse 16 and 17 and go right to, we just don't do that. If you preach the whole Bible, you'll never skip any subject God wants people to know about. All scripture is God-breathed. That's an amazing thing that God could have just um, sent down a book from heaven, right? He chose men to write it. You may look at the Old Testament and think, boy, I wish I could have been somebody like Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of those prophets, and God would speak through me. Listen, they, those guys were hated and persecuted because the truth stung in some cases. All scriptures God breathed. Therefore, that means it has, listen, divine authority. You may in your flesh disagree with scripture. Feel free, but you're wrong. God's always right. We're wrong. There's hard parts to understand. I get that. God uh, gives the scriptures sometimes, often, in fact, listen, without explanation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. there's no explanation of how he did it, except that he did it by speaking. That's how powerful he is. Yes, but what's the physics of, he doesn't tell us. So is that a big bang? And he just says it matter of factly. Some things God knows are too big for my puny, puny little brain. Thanks to American education. No, I'm just kidding. All scriptures God breathed and it's useful. This is a useful book. This is, I'm going to tell you about it more. It's a supernatural book. In fact, the Bible is the only supernatural book in the history of mankind. But we'll come back to that thought. It's useful. No wonder if it's God-breathed, you would think it is. Everything God makes is useful. Have you noticed that? Trees, good for shade. Some are good for fruit. Some are good for firewood. Some are good for cutting up and building with, right? All kinds of uses, fuel. All scripture's useful. God-breathed and useful for some things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you see those four things? Number one, the Bible is useful for teaching. It's the best thing to teach. That foundation will help you in sports, in business, and other things as well, but primarily in spiritual things. So number one, it's what we are to teach, we who teach spiritual things in church. It's tempting to teach what I think, but I try not to. The only times I do is when there's more than one possible meaning for this scripture. Scholars disagree. I'm going to tell you what this guy thinks and what that guy thinks. And I'll even tell you at no extra charge what idiot me thinks. But usually you're hearing what the Bible says. It's useful for teaching. So um, parentheses, think of teaching as what's right. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. It's useful for teaching what's right. Let's keep moving. Rebuking or reproof, pointing out what's wrong, right? Because otherwise our um, morals, man-made morals, if you make your own God and your own religion and your own morals, and you draw the line of good and evil here, I'll guarantee you that you're above that, the way you're living. I'm a drunk. I get drunk every night. Jesus understands it's right here where if you read the Bible, it says, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah. No, I've got my own morals. Your own morals will always be according to where you are morally, which ain't good. Why not take the morals from someone who's absolutely perfect morally God teaching what's good, what's right. What's good. Um, rebuking or, uh, Let's see, where am I? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Reproof, that's the old King James word, teaching what's wrong, what's sin and what's not. Uh, And bringing conviction of error when someone's deviated from truth. Correction uh, is the next thing or correcting. That's how to get right when you've, you've agreed with God that it's wrong. Do you know that confession is nothing more than the word means to agree with? Confessing your sin is agreeing with God. What I said, what I did, I recognize according to your word, it was wrong. I didn't even think it was wrong. It was okay with me. You say it's wrong, it's wrong, right? Thy will be done. So is that the end of it? No, because you got it. We have to correct what's wrong. And training is, in righteousness is um, how to stay right, how to stay on that path that God has for you. So by the way, the Bible, this is not an exhaustive list by that. I mean, is that the only things, and that's a lot that the Bible is useful for. And the answer is no, I'll tell you, it's useful in training up children. Believe me, you got to teach them early. This is the book. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Um, it's useful for, uh, uh, let's see. We already talked about that. Um, It's useful in ethics for business and in a marriage. It's unbelievably useful. He doesn't mention those things, just more general categories. Um, A lot of people have said, I wish God would just speak to me. I wish I could hear a voice from heaven. He has spoken. The book you have in your lap is it. It covers everything you need. Are you in absolute anguish, sweating, so freaked out and so scared? Read the Psalms. You'll find the writers of the Psalms are so honest. Sometimes they're saying things like this Where are you? I trust in you, and yet I make my bed swim, David says. You know, he's crying, he's weeping, he's sweating in bed, he's just so freaked out. It's very honest. The Bible is an incredible, supernatural book. If you're waiting for a voice from heaven, open the Bible. The voice has already come. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Uh, I want you to notice that the Bible doesn't just contain God's word. It is God's word. The expression of his person, his heart, his mind, his will, his defined authority. You can't know God apart from the Bible. There is a sense in which, and I've heard people say this, you know, and I want to commune with God. Our, my neighbor said this before she moved. Her husband died. I tried to witness to her, invite her to church. And she said, when I want church, I just sit on my back deck and look at the trees and listen to the birds. That's God's handiwork. You know what? She's right. But you will no, get no closer to knowing God doing that than you will going to the Louvre in Paris, France, and looking at the Mona Lisa and thinking, now I know Leonardo da Vinci, no, you don't. You can't know him just by him. I can tell by looking at the trees and the sky and the weather, God must really love us. There's plenty of food, fuel, air to breathe, water to drink. This is an amazing planet. That doesn't tell me all I need to know. It's great to recognize God's hands in everything, in nature. But we know God from the Bible. It's useful for raising kids, conduct, uh, all kinds of other stuff. He wrote the Bible so people could have hope. Here's a quote. If you think our country is supposed to be separation of church and state, no Jesus in school. Here's a quote, and then I'll tell you who said it. Speaking about the Bible, this man said, but for this book, holding up the Bible, but for this book, we could not know right from wrong. You know who said that? Abraham Lincoln. I could could do quotes from the founders 55 out of 56 uh, writers signers of the Declaration of Independence. 55 out of 56. That's a high percentage. Uh, 55 out of 56 of of them were Christians. A little more than half of them, listen to this, were had theology degrees. Went to basically what we would call Bible, excuse me, college. Um, Okay, we we need to leave it there for right now. We're going to take our two-minute break. I'm going to turn my screen off. Just let you stretch your aging bodies and we'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and find your seats, those of you in the back of the room, uh, and we'll get started. I don't know if that was two minutes. Um, Okay, now it's time for the coconut on the beach, as promised. You say, what the heck is that? Are we going to Hawaii? Yes. And you're paying for everybody. <laughs> the coconut on the beach. Here's the coconut on the beach. When you were a kid, did you ever go to the beach and swim in the ocean? And you know that your parents were, you went straight in where your parents' towel was, where you were set up for camp. And they have like a little cooler there. And you're in the ocean. For me, it was my brother and I or my cousins and I. And we're swimming. He's pointing. You're swimming in the ocean and you're having a ball and time's going by and it's been an hour and a half and you just, you're into the ocean, but you suddenly look toward the shore and there's no parents, right? Total strangers. That guy wasn't there. Who's that lady? What, where are we? What happened? Alternate universe. What happened was you were slowly, gradually drifting. And you didn't know it. And then suddenly you, you look and your parents are 250 yards that way. And it seems impossible that you were slowly riding waves and laughing and no parents. That's how it is when we as Christians don't read the word, we drift away slowly. So, what's the coconuts then, Mr. Wise Guy? The coconuts is an analogy that the dad says to the kids, go have fun. But do you see these two coconuts? I'm going to put one right over there, about 20 feet to one side, and one over there, 20 feet to the other side. So keep referencing, looking at the coconuts, and you'll know when you're drifting. If you don't do that, you can drift away. I haven't been to church in a while. I have been reading the Bible. You know, I prayed, I think in February for quite a while, and suddenly you feel like God's so far away. What's, what is it with God? Hello, who moved? Who drifted? The coconuts are the Bible, okay? That is how we stay in the lane we're supposed to be in. There's great freedom. It's, the coconuts can be a mile apart, but we are to stay in the yard where God can protect us, where we can obey, where he can communicate with us, because when you drift away, guess what? Your dad goes, no, and you can barely hear him over the waves because you drifted away. If you stayed between the coconuts, this will be on the final. You might want to write this down. Okay. Just kidding. They're on the beach the Yes. The beach in Santa Cruz, Chris said. That's right. Um, we already talked about that. Okay. Now, detour number two. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. Amen. Go to Psalm 119. How many know about Psalm 119? It's loose and it's long. You took the words right out of my mouth. Some Psalms are like five verses. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Six verses. It's easy to memorize. Trust me, memorize it. You'll have peace you never dreamed. Psalm 119. How many verses is it? 176 verses. Now that the first thing you you should notice about that is must be pretty important. It's the longest song, right? Psalm 119 is all about the Bible. Every single verse refers to the Bible. You start reading and you go, I don't see Bible, Bible. It doesn't say Bible anywhere. Psalm 119 verse one, blessed are they, whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. That's a a way of describing the Bible. Verse 2, blessed are they who keep his statutes. It's another synonym for the Bible. I won't bore you with the whole psalm in all 176 verses. Trust me, every single one tells you something about the treasure that you have by having the Bible. So those of you that can memorize that Psalm, let me know. Just kidding, but <laughs> excuse me. Um, okay. Jesus, go back to Second uh, Timothy. Jesus um, was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. You all remember that story? Every temptation Satan gave him, Jesus answered with philosophy, eh, wrong. With what? Scripture. He quoted scripture. Where did he get that? He memorized it. That's where. If you can do it, memorize it. Otherwise, know it. At least know what it says. And you do. Um, Jesus quotes scripture every single time. False doctrine can't live where there's The scripture being preached week after week after week. It can't. We try, I try my best to preach the scripture. I know I'm far from perfect as a teacher, but I know you, those of you that are here, I know a lot of you on Zoom, enough to know that if I next Tuesday started teaching aberrant heresy, bad doctrine, false doctrine, I know you people, I hope well enough that you wouldn't just accept it. You'd email me. I'd be getting texts, phone calls. What do you, you you go off the deep end. Um, Jesus wasn't really the son of God. He was just a great teacher. There are many great teachers. Uh, This is false doctrine. You're supposed to be going or making noise or something. Boo. Oh, I, I like that alarm, Sherry. Very good. The point is. When you know the real thing, you never get fooled by the counterfeits. If we bring somebody in here, fresh off the plane from Serbia, who speaks no English and has never been in the United States, doesn't know anything about our culture, our money, anything, and I say, um, I'd like to buy your watch. I'm going to give you this $1,200 bill. With Hillary Clinton's picture on it. May I buy your watch? And you translate for him, he might be fooled. Was anybody fooled that there's a $1,200 bill with Hillary's picture on it? You know why you weren't fooled? Because you know the real money. Well, let me see the 12. 12- you don't even have to see the $1,200. Bill. What'd you say, Ken? Huh? Oh, never mind. Must have been funny. In any case, it's so important that we stay in the Word. Can I just say one thing about reading the Bible? Don't do this with the Bible. You ever see people do this? I think I'm going to read some scripture today here. Isaiah three 10. Don't do that. Well, maybe God's going to direct my finger supernatural. He might, but he might not. You want to read Isaiah, start at verse one of chapter one and read the notes if you need to and research it online. Read it the way you would. Do you do that with novels? I'm just going to read page 41 first and second paragraph. That's just silly. Read the Bible for all it's worth. It's an amazing supernatural book. The Bible is the best-selling book in the history of the world. Did you know that? Number one. In the combined history of the world, uh, it's the best-selling book. It's also the best-selling book in the United States every single year, but they don't count it because it's a special category. So it's not on the New York Times bestseller list, Barnes and Noble, and yet, you know, millions of Bibles are sold every single year. Uh, We already talked about that. I'm not going to do that big, long thing, but I did a sermon at three different churches on how do we know the Bible is true and inspired. And so I've talked to you before about the acronym MAPS, Manuscript Evidence, 25,000 ancient manuscripts of the Bible to where we can compare and figure out no this is accurate. A lot of people thought not the Old Testament it's too old, can't really know. There's really two different Isaiahs. That was a common theory until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Dead Sea Scrolls proved in spades They were a 1,000 years older than the best manuscripts we had of the Old Testament. And all the skeptics went, oh, you watch. When they get into that, they'll find so many errors, and they weren't there. You can trust the Bible. It's an amazing treasure that you have. M for manuscript evidence. A, archaeology. No archaeological find has ever disproved anything in the Bible, but thousands of archaeological finds have confirmed things that people made fun of. There's no such person that ever existed as Pontius Pilate. He's made up until the 1960s when an archeolo- archeologist found a pillar and on it is engraved Pontius Pilate procurator of Judea in that language it wouldn't be in English. My point is archeology span proves the Bible's true. P this is the best one, predictive prophecy. If God didn't write the Bible, speaking the words into a man, men, how do you explain men getting so many lucky guesses predicting the future? It's astounding. Jesus himself, 332 Old Testament prophecies about this Messiah character were sitting out there until Jesus comes and fulfills all of them in his lifetime. 332. Are there still some he hasn't fulfilled? Yes, second coming. First coming. What are the prophecies like? Because you know, prophecy is pretty easy if you know how to do it. Watch, I'll I'll make a prophecy. Tomorrow you'll say, wow, you ready? Most of you in this room and most of you on Zoom are going to see a white car tomorrow. Pretty good. Please send your donations to no, no. <laughs> why is why are you laughing because that's just stupid. It's so general. There'll be air to breathe tomorrow. Most of you will eat something tomorrow. Good one. Listen how specific they are. The Messiah will be born of a virgin in a tiny little town called Bethlehem related to David King David on both sides mother and stepfather. Joseph. He will heal the sick, raise the dead, be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. The silver will be thrown in the temple and used to buy a potter's field. His hands and his feet will be pierced. That was written years before crucifixion was even invented. Lucky guesses. He'll be betrayed by a close friend. We talked about that. All of his followers will abandon him. Even his own family won't believe in him. He'll rise from the dead, he'll ascend to heaven. And I could go on and on and on amazing uh read Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 that's where they're bunched together not all of them but a lot of them um you get the idea I'm hammering into your heads the bible is an awesome book and the more we study it the better okay one last thing about prophecy by the way the s in maps is for statistical probability we'll come back to the prophecy statistical probability means how do you get 40 authors most of which never knew each other over 1500 years to write 66 books in three languages on three continents that all has one continuity message, the salvation of mankind, unless God was behind it. Okay, I got to give you the Peter Stoner thing. You ever heard of Peter Stoner, Professor Peter Stoner, a uh, statistician, a Christian decided he was going to figure out the probability of just eight of those prophecies about the Messiah, one man fulfilling all of them. How many have heard this? The Texas thing with the silver dollars, you ever heard it? Okay, a few of you have. He calculated that the chances that one human being could fulfill just eight of the 332 prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. You say, what does that mean? Okay, for comparison, if it was one in a trillion, it would be a one with 12 zeros, you with me? Okay. this is a one with 17 zeros after it. That number is so big that you could cover the state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep. You got the picture? The whole state of Texas, the roads, the lakes, the mountains, the whole state of Texas is covered in two feet of silver dollars. Now we're gonna take a felt pen Pick one randomly and write an X on it. You got the picture? One out of all that number, that's the chances one guy could fulfill just eight of the prophecies. So that would mean now we're going to take a guy, blindfold him, let him walk around Texas as much as he wants. You can feel the silver dollars you're clicking on as you're walking. Yeah, Pick one, the chances that he's going to get the right one with the X. That's one in 10 to the 17th power. Then he calculated, well, what if it was 48 of the prophecies? And that's one with 157 zeros after it. impossible. Okay, by the way, prophecy, the predicting of future. It's not in the Hindu Vedas. It's not in the Quran. It's not in Buddhist writings. It's unique to Christianity. We already talked about that. You say I'm getting a little tired of hearing about the Bible too bad. Let's uh, just keep going not very polite, right? Um, I'm going to skip that because it's in the notes, all that stuff. I think I'm going to skip that too. All right, we're moving on. You go, well, what was it? I forget it. It wasn't that interesting. You read the notes and you'll get it. Um, It's part of that sermon. Um, Okay, back to verse 16. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, good. Verse 16. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, verse 17, so that NIV has the servant of God, it really reads the man of God, which in context means Timothy, which means pastors, but it means men and women of God, servant of God, all of us. So that you and I as believers, may I say, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, Does anybody have adequate there in that, tra- in that verse? Yeah, you do, and is that New American Standard? Okay, adequate in, a, in English. If I say, how was the food at that restaurant? And, and you say, it was adequate, right? It means kind of like a B minus, it was food. I didn't throw up. Biblically, this word is not, doesn't mean it's adequate. It means thoroughly equipped. It means f- complete and mature in every way. So that you're equipped for every good work. That kind of comes out of left field, the good work thing. Because I can do good works without the Bible and Jesus and God, can't I? Not really. In a worldly sense, yes. But a work that is done that is not for God's glory is not a good work, is it? Because whose glory is it for? mine, ultimately, right? So to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, and that's why we're here, for good work, isn't it? So thoroughly equipped means not just adequate, it means we got everything we need in this book. Aren't there unanswered questions? Yes. But what God wanted us to know, he put in there. Walter Martin used to say, Dr. Walter Martin, um, brilliant Bible guy, scholar guy, The Bible Answer Man, he used to be called on the radio. He used to say, uh, regarding doctrine, if it's new, oh, we're going to that church. They got new doctrine there. It's probably not true. And if it's true, it's not new. The Bible doesn't change. This is the new 2022 version. We've updated it to make it with climate change and with all the bisexuality and the transgen... No. God doesn't change his mind. Right. Okay. Did we beat that dead horse enough? The point is, let the Bible speak to you. It will change you from the inside out. It'll equip you to serve. It's everything we need. But we have one other tool that's not in this verse, but it's in the Bible. say, besides the Bible, what is it? The Holy Spirit. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you in such a way that he, besides other things, convicting you of sin, giving you the words to say when you need them, he illuminates the Bible in a way you could never, I don't care how smart you are, how spiritual you think you are, you'd never understand it without the Holy Spirit. He makes the Bible come alive. Why do you think I ask for the Holy Spirit to teach this class every week? Get Driving in here when I'm setting up, I'm constantly, please, you got to do this, not me. Um, okay, so um, the more you read the Bible, you start to think like God thinks. You start to see people who are just a pain in the rear sometimes, aren't they? But you start to love them anyway, right? You start to see and hear and think like God thinks. Um also first Peter what else does the Bible do it gives eternal life first Peter one it spiritually cleanses us it's like a bar of soap it has it gives you power um, to resist the devil it gives you spiritual strength Psalm 119 back to that it gives you power to build faith okay you say well we're here we're studying the Bible can you move on all right end of chapter three chapter four Verse one, how much time do we have? Plenty. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. <clears throat> That's almost like, almost like swearing somebody uh, under oath. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Those two verses have to be read together. Go back to the verse one. He's reminding him who the boss is in this business of ministry. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Did you see that? He's saying, I'm swearing you to oath. I'm urging you. Remember, God is your boss. Christ Jesus is your boss. They're watching. They're listening in their presence. By the way, notice God and Christ Jesus, meaning what Um, TD Jakes you ever heard of him TV. He's wrong about what modalism. Modalism says God and Jesus Christ are the same person. This verse says in the presence of both of them, God, the father and the Lord Christ Jesus. Are they both God? Yes. Are they both the same person? No, modalism teaches, oneness Pentecostals teach us, modalism teaches that once upon a time there was God the Father, period. There was no Son of God, no Christ, no Holy Spirit. Got it? Just God the Father. He's alone for all eternity. If that's true, how could God be loved? He was alone for a trillion years. And then God the Father saw that there was a problem on earth and said, I better put on my Jesus costume and become Jesus. So Jesus comes to the earth, he's God, but there's no God the Father in heaven. It's just different roles in the same play, one actor playing three roles. Then Jesus dies on the cross and he rises from the dead and then he turns into the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. You got the picture? So there is no God the Father, no Jesus. Now it's just the Holy Spirit. Wrong, wrong and wrong. Eh, 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 eh. My grandkids love when I do that. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and he reminds him who will judge the living and the dead. By the way, that's everybody. Did you catch that? You're either living or dead, right? There's no third category. I'm sort of a lot. Living in the dead, he'll judge everybody. That's the power we're talking about. And in view of his appearing, second coming, which could happen, who knows when, he's saying, be ready. And his kingdom, that comes after the second coming. And then he's going to give this charge. By the way, in view of his appearing, I want to talk about that for a second. I've given you this analogy before. It's a little silly. Just go with me on it. Remember when you were seven years old, nine years old, ten years old? Did your mother ever, did you ever screw up and do something really bad? And your mother says, did you ever hear this? Wait till your father gets home. Right? Because my mother couldn't catch my brother and I, we would go to the dining room, which was a big dining room mahogany table, and we would just run and she couldn't catch us. Wait till your father get home. He could catch us, right? Bing, bang, zoom. So you screwed up. Oh, no. And you hear your dad's car in the driveway. You go hide under the bed, right? Or you go, I'm going to go over to Johnny's house. No, no. And so my poor father gets home and my mother says, you know what Joey did today? You're not going to believe it. And I would get punished, right? Or let's say report card day came and Joe got his usual 1A, bunch of Bs and a bunch of Cs and even a D. Dad's car comes in the driveway. I'm hiding. On the other hand, say you got straight A's or you helped your mom in the kitchen and she says, I'm so proud of you. Wait till your dad gets home. He's going to love to hear about this different reaction. Now you're listening for the car in the driveway, right? And you run out to greet him. When Jesus Christ returns, some believers are going to know that they don't believe and they're going to go Oh, no. He's here. You read this in the book of Revelation, let the rocks fall on us. Oh, no. The great and terrible day of the Lord has come, and who can stand under it? On the other hand, you and I will go, yes, he's finally here, right? We'll run to the car. The problem with that analogy, it's all true except for one thing. You as a believer are saved. That's true. So spiritually speaking, you are blessed. you got a great report card. Didn't earn it like you did in your, in school, you earned your grades, C's for me, Um, A's for some of you, my brother got straight A's, I hated him forever, no, just kidding, Um, the point is, you have a great report card, Jesus can't wait to see you, you can't wait to see him, and he did all your homework, you owe him everything, it's an amazing thing, okay, so, I should have put the car in the driveway analogy or wait till your father gets home. Should have been on the email, right? So that's the the charge, verse 1. Now he's going to give the command. Remember God. Remember Christ Jesus. He's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to have a second appearing, second coming. His kingdom will come after that. So because of all that, Timothy, don't forget who your boss is. Preach the word. When? in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is a command for all pastors, all people that teach Bible studies like me and anybody that uh, lives in any way with the ministry of the gospel in their heart. Preach your opinions entertaining sermons dancing girls preach the word just preach the bible that's it yes but you know there's a church down the street and their parking lot is full that guy is so funny he's entertaining he sprinkles some bible in there but we don't have that many people that's okay preach the word that's what he said In season, be prepared. In season and out of season. What does that mean? Like, you know, fall and summer are best? No, it means when it's popular and when it's not. You know what? The Bible, can I just tell you, is out of season right now. What do you mean? Not pop. You want to be popular? Don't preach the Bible because it says stuff like homosexuality is a sin, right? It it says all kinds of things that are not hip today. They're not popular. We need to update the Bible. No, we don't. Just preach it anyway. Because those who are being drawn by God will hear it and the bell will ring. This makes sense. This is the real deal. And the others who are just coming to be entertained or to feel good will go to the church down the street. And there isn't one down the street, so don't start looking as you drive out of here that is preaching false doctrine. Well, they're actually Mormonism, yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. 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 and the New Age movement, right? All on the street. We said that last week. Okay, sorry, I misspoke. Um, so uh, we already talked about that. So teach the word to others. You say, well, yeah, you know, this is good. Can you move on? Well, I'm not a minister, I'm not a pastor. This is for you too, for all of us. Because yeah. there's somebody you can teach it to. Your friend, your neighbor, your kids, your grandkids, your nephew, the, you know, whoever, your neighbor, teach it. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Now comes the rebuke of the guy on TV who blinks a lot. What kind of sermon should we preach? Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Make sure you make people feel good. And does it say that? Correct. What does that mean? Point out where people are wrong, where what sin is and how dangerous it is. Yes, but that won't be popular. It's a command. In light of the fact that God and Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead, all that whole verse one correct rebuke. Wow, that's a strong word to rebuke somebody is to go look, Harold, this is a sin, clearly in the Bible here, here and here and it's what you're doing and I know that's what you're doing and so I'm not judging you I'm letting God's word judge you and here it is what I think doesn't matter here it is in God's word you're doing this rebuke sermons are supposed to pinch a little bit okay now let me say if all they are is pinching sermons that are negative excuse me that misses the point because every sermon, no matter how negative it may sound, hell is awaiting those who don't believe that pinches. I don't like that. You sound so judgmental. Every sermon like that ought to end like this. But how awesome is it that God loves us anyway and provided a way where we could be saved, where Because of his son's death on the cross and his perfect life he lived, the life you were supposed to live, the sinless life, and the horrible death he suffered that you deserved, he's offering you his righteousness in exchange for your garbage, your sin. How cool is that? See how much there was pinching, but there was also a positivity. Not Joel Osteen positivity, you can name it and claim it. God wants you to be rich and and healthy. And if you're not healthy, you're clearly, you know, cursed or living a bad life or doing something wrong. You deserve it. The truth, because the Bible is both negative and then extremely positive. It really is a joyful message. The news of Jesus Christ is called the gospel, which means good news. Therefore, we should be rejoicing. Paul says rejoice always. I will say it again. In case you missed it, rejoice. Redundant, redundant, right? We should be joyful. Preach the word in season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage what I just said. Encourage people. You can't live the Christian life. Negative, but God can live it through you to the extent that you submit to his word and to his spirit. You can do this. Not in your own power, but to his glory with great patience. You know why that's in there? Because preachers burn out. They do. They get tired of the same old congregation. They never seem to change. They're not even listening. Do it with patience anyway. Because the cool thing is when you witness to somebody for Christ, the fruit is not up to you. The growth not up to you. Just cast the seeds. Let God do the, the rest. With patience and careful instruction. Don't be cavalier about preaching stuff. I'm not sure this is true, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Don't do that. Preach the word. Preach it. Preach means to announce publicly. doesn't mean in a church of uh, 500 people or 100 people. Necessarily, it can. It can mean a stadium for Billy Graham, right? Full of people. I saw him preach. But it can also mean at work, the lady sitting next to you. Okay, now that I made you feel guilty and pinched your toes, let's move on. Verse 3. You know why you should do that? Because, verse 3, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I think we're seeing that now, actually. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I know what I want to hear, right? Paul is saying, let me give you this analogy, opening a restaurant, okay? Dave, Nichol, and I are going to open a restaurant in Oakhurst, okay? And we both happen to like quiche covered in bologna and cherries. That's what we're going to specialize in. I think it's going to be a real hit, don't you, Dave? No. You know why? You're going to open a restaurant, you need to give people what they want. You got to have a vegetarian dish. You got to have this. You should probably have some inexpensive dishes. You got to give people what they want, not in church. You give people what they need, what God wants them to hear. That's what He's saying. Um, so forget that restaurant idea we talked about. There, people didn't seem to like it. There's going to come a time when people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine because it disagrees with the way they're living, because it pinches their toes too much, because they're so influenced by the internet and the news and the world and movies and sinful stuff, excuse me, all around them. The Bible just, I can't put up with this. Doesn't make me feel good. They won't put up with it, but there's a vacuum. What do you mean? They gotta hear something. Mm So they'll assemble for themselves or gather around them a great number of teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. You're all basically good people. The Bible says just the opposite. Right? There's none righteous, no, not one. It's the opposite to say everybody's basically good. And we're all little Christs, and we're all, it's a very serious thing. But people want to hear what they want to hear, and they will find those teachers. And I've told you this before. I can't think of his name. There's a a pastor in Chicago with a huge church who teaches. In the end, no one goes to hell. No one. Which means Jesus is wrong. Paul's wrong. They're all wrong because God would never, ever do that. What my itching ears wanna hear. There's teachers with homosexual pastors and homosexual congregations because they're Christians too. Not what the Bible says. So we have to be really careful that we're not picking a church because they tell me what I want to hear. Better to pick a church, maybe an empty church, with only a few people where they're telling you what the word of god says without apology without watering it down and etc and we're out of time and some of you are asleep say amen okay let's let's pray and we'll get out of here thank you father for this time we can spend in the best selling book in the world your book that you wrote god using average men the bible And so, if persecution comes in our lifetime, may we remember what we heard tonight and see it as a badge of honor and never retreat. May we stand firm in your word, unafraid, like Paul. Prepare us for what may be coming, God. Help us not to drift away, to keep an eye on those coconuts, the Bible, so that we know who we believe and what we believe, and don't find ourselves half a mile down the beach wondering. How did we get here and why does God feel so far away? Thank you for the Bible, God. I pray we would read it every single day. We'd put it where we'd see it, on the kitchen table, wherever, and read it every single day. Help us to live by it, by the power of your spirit. You are so kind, God. We love you and pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know in this room. Before you leave, they're waiting to see if you'll do it. And those of you on Zoom, thanks for being here. See you next time. God bless.